You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has only one decade of experience, but has spent plenty of time working at Seeking Alpha, seeing how investing ideas work. We usually start with ideas from Akram's Investing, break them down, bring on guests and experts to flesh them out, and try to understand both the investing idea itself and the thinking that goes behind it. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. You can also check out Akram's work on The Razor's Edge on Seeking Alpha's Marketplace by searching for The Razor's Edge. If you have a chance to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this with a friend, we'd appreciate it. You can also reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure, The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the episode. This week on The Razor's Edge, we speak with a couple of Atlassian alums. Our guests are Justin Stepka, who you might remember joined us towards the beginning of the COVID period. He's the co-owner of Enterprise Fund, a venture and private equity fund, and joined Atlassian as something like their 30th employee. Our other guest is Jens Schumacher, who was employee number 12 at Atlassian and worked there for 15 years, eventually becoming the head of product for Jira Service Desk. He's now chief product officer at Sajari, a search technology company and a company that Justin's fund is invested in, by the way. We're breaking this conversation into two episodes. Today's episode covers the Atlassian Mafia effect and goes into more focus on Sajari. Sajari is a private company, but there's a lot about Elasticsearch, about the e-commerce market, and about SaaS development and machine learning that I think will be of broader interest. The second part, next week, We'll zoom out to look at the increasing competition in SaaS and their thoughts on the market in general. Before we begin, disclosures Justin is long Atlassian, PagerDuty, Slack, and ServiceNow. Jens is long Atlassian, PagerDuty, and DocuSign. Akram is long PagerDuty, Slack, and Twitter. I am long Google, Dell, Dropbox, and PagerDuty. This call was recorded Wednesday, September 23rd in the US though it was the 24th in Spain and Australia. No mild collaboration feat this podcast. Let's get to it. All right. Hi, guys. Hi, Justin and Jens. Thanks for hopping on. Hello. Hello. Jens, this is your first time on the Razor's Edge, so could you tell us who you are? Because I think for our listeners, your background and what you're working on now is going to be really interesting for context. So my name is Jens Schumacher. I spent 15 years at Atlassian. I started at the company when, when I had 12 people and two products and then left the company when we had around 4,000, 4,500 people. So it was quite a journey. And at the end, I was responsible for Jira Software and Jira Service Desk. Since I left, I joined another startup again with like 12 people and let's hope they go to 4,000 as well, this time in the search space. So we're really looking at, it's called Sajari. And we're looking at uh, enabling every organization to create smart search experience and doing it and doing all the hard work for them. And using AI, that's right. Using AI, of course. 
I mean, AI is a buzzword. You, you can't leave that out, gents. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We find like everybody uses AI. So it's really for, for us, it's about making the AI part easy and transparent to people. So you don't have to have a, a team of data scientists on, on your product team to create the search experience. So we take care of that, that hard work. And unfortunately, it really has become a buzzword for most companies. So everything is AI, even though it's quite basic machine learning. And we are taking that a little bit to like, we are embedding that into the product and actually have some smarts in the product that we just don't, we don't feel like we don't have to advertise it as much. That's not really the core value proposition. The value proposition is how easy it is to implement and how easy it is to, to customize your search algorithm and iterate on it because for search, it's not something that uh, you implement once and it's done. If you have a small website, sure. But if you if you run an e-commerce store and you make tens of millions of dollars a year, 40% of those uh, of that revenue comes from people who search for products. And if you can optimize that by 5%, 10%, that's that's a huge increase in, in revenue. So And that's what we're focusing on, helping people to, to get that extra 5%, 10% out of their, their revenue and margin, whatever they want to optimize in business. I mean, uh, I, th I think last time Justin was on here, by the way, guys, Justin is on again, and, you know, but SaaS is bad boy back. Po popular podcast we had last time. You, you, you kind of got this party started anyway, Justin, right? So th thanks for coming back. And I thought the, uh, the idea was uh, just to give a little context since Jens has given us background was Justin has invested in Sajari with uh, their enterprise fund. And obviously the, they, they, Justin is ex Atlassian as well. What employee were you? I, I would have been around 30. And, and just to sort of highlight Enterprise Fund, Enterprise Fund as well is also former Atlassians or Atlassians from the Atlassian Partner Network as well. So, uh, so could we call you know, it uh, a mafia, like the PayPal mafia? Could we say this, that like you guys are Atlassian mafia? Is this the Atlassian mafia that we're doing here? I think you're starting to see the early stages of that across a handful of companies that are beginning to to have traction. And in some cases, some companies like launch darkly that have considerable traction. Yeah. And it's, it's quite, it's quite interesting to see people from Atlassian moving on after a long time. So we just hired actually uh, one of the engineering managers on Jira to become the head of engineering at Sajari. He joined us last week and one of the early marketing managers, uh, John Silver, he also joined us uh, in July. So, you know, funny, 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 funny story about that is, is the, the guy's name is Justin as well. And he was the first engineer that started working on the product that I sold to at last season. So in that sense, it, it really is sort of. So he's uh, your doppelganger. Uh, he's a doppelganger, <laughs> but I guess more to the point around your idea of the, the mafia, so to speak, is, is, is these employees really are coming together and trying to become a force multiplier in order to rally around companies and, and see them succeed. And you're also seeing that as well in companies like Launch Starkly, which has considerable success, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, and then there's another company called Sleuth, which has three sub 30 employees work with them as well. And you know, that's sort of a, a Wait, DevOps deployment company. It's, it's not a mafia until someone's got a unicorn. <laughs> you know, technically there was a unicorn, <laughs> MuleSoft, one of the, 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 okay. the, you know, he was an early employee at Atlassian and, you know, MuleSoft was sold for, I can't, can't remember how much that was sold, but I mean, that right before it went public, you know, it was sold to Salesforce. Yeah, that was Salesforce. 
Okay. Do you, by the way, a question when this happens, Atlassian is still obviously run by its co-founders. There's like, is Scott the godfather and you have to get permission if an employee leaves? I mean, is this like Steve Jobs? Like, well, how does it work? You know, Jens is there longer, so I'll answer that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think the, uh, I think generally they're quite, I mean, the 15 years is a long time or 10 it's years or even, right? So time served. So like after a while, if you, if you kind of have done it all, at a company you spend a lot of time on a product, it's really good to get a fresh perspective. And they understand it and they're very supportive as well of, of kind of personal growth in the company. So finding you something different in the company or outside of the company as well. Like if you, you feel like you need to do something different, that's good. And there's a lot of, in Australia, we call them boomerang. So there's a bunch of people who left and then came back a few years later. So that happens quite a bit as well, actually. Does that have any correlation with the stock price? That... Um, uh, pr- probably not because they, otherwise they probably would have stayed on to begin with. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they, I think it's just because it's a, it's a good company to work at. But you, you tried something different. It's, it's always the grass is always greener. So you, you feel like, oh, probably it's much better if I go and work at like another tech startup or another big company. And then you realize, well, it's not as, as good as I thought. So maybe that spot was pretty good where, where I was. So, but yeah, I think by, by now, people are they're quite supportive and they're, they're happy for people to leave and happy for people to come back as well with like new experiences that they bring to the table as well. What do you guys find? Uh, this is going to be maybe a tricky question because you guys are inside that ecosystem. But like, what do you find is a commonality among all those Atlassian mafia folks? Like, are there is it just that you know each other, or do you find that there's certain things that come from that culture that are valuable in your next steps? I would say for the, for the people that are teaming up together, a huge part of any success story is finding people that can work together and have work patterns that have proven themselves to be successful. And so whenever you can get a cohort of employees together that have had previous success and understand the playbook and will run the same playbook, you know, that's a tremendous advantage. Yeah, I think, I think it's just... For people having like the same style of working or kind of knowing what's important. So the, in particular, if you, if you form a new startup or you join a startup, like in my case, the reason why I went on board, I actually was an advisor to Sajari for a couple of years, the founder of a friend of mine. And it came to, to a stage where he said, we really want to, we want to raise more money. We want to grow the company, we want to double the company and, and really take the core product that we built and scale it. But none of the two founders has scaled the company before. They haven't really seen what it means to go from from eight to, to 25 to 50 to 100. So, and uh, I think those are the, the things that we experienced at, at Atlassian in like various stages. And if you have like a couple of people who are on the same page, whether it's in, in marketing or in engineering, that, that helps a lot, right? You don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel. You kind of know what, what works and you can't just translate everything that you, that you have at a company that has 4,000 people and bring it to like a small startup, but you just know what to try out and, and kind of what, where, where the problems are along the way. I think that's the most important thing to understand. That's the guy who was running, the, is the co-founder the person who was running Influence? The, um, the co-founder, oh no, so the, the co-founder is actually, the one guy, guy came from Freelancer and uh, Hamish, I think he, he's been running Sajari or like some iteration, he's been iterating on the Kind of the idea of the search engine for a long time. It was actually part of his PhD thesis where he wanted to 
find papers that are related to what he was working on, but there was no search engine that allowed them to use as a search input an entire paper and find similar things. So he kind of used machine learning, the, the, hip, the hip word there, to basically take one paper as a search input and then find other papers that are related or have related content. And that was kind of the first version of Sajari and since then he's been iterating on that. Okay, so so I guess the, 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 I, that was the, because I'd read an article, it was like a $30 million fund invested and there was a picture with you or? Yeah, so the this is the kind of the, the lead investor Tidal uh, Ventures and uh, okay. one of the partners at Tidal Wendell Koinemann, he was the, the head of product for Confluence. So he basically okay, was Okay, there we go. That's it. That's my, yeah. So yeah, he was my peer. Like when I was uh, running Jira, he was running Confluence. All right. Makes sense. And then because it, Justin ran, Justin, you ran, was it the press two? It's Bitbucket, was it? Yeah, I worked on Bitbucket, Sorcery, and Crowd. And then after it last year, I worked on Docker. And for people who are, you know, who are not intimately familiar with Atlassian's product suite, Jira, to me, when I think of Atlassian, I think of Jira of, of the workflow management for developers. And then Confluence is more of a collaborative spec tool. It's a way to kind of share documents and really drill into more details, I think, of how I, I see it. And so it's all this workflow management. And yeah, and so like, Jens, when you were talking about taking it from 8 to 25 to 50, like, not to dwell too much on this, but what when you said there were two products at Atlassian when you got there, what were they? And like, how did that take you over to the Jira side? of? Yeah, well, I actually came to Jira very late. I worked on Confluence for the first few years. So as an engineer and then as a, as a product manager, and we only had Confluence and Jira when I started with two teams, uh, each five people, one of the founders on each team. And then we had one person in support and one person in marketing. That, that was basically it. I think the, the challenges that you see along the way are how do you grow this team? How do you structure them yet? Jira and Confluence. And we found that uh, over time, because there were two teams that were sitting in the same room, but on opposite ends. And even then, they almost didn't talk much to each other in terms of technology choices. And everybody just runs as fast as you want. And as you grow, you want to leverage a bit the scale that you have. So you try to find common components that you can create and you, you figure out how you structure the company. Kind of around more of a, a platform uh, that then delivers value to the product. And then you look at different, then you evolve from like a functional organization, which we had in the beginning to like business units and you hire general managers. And later on, the platform becomes important again, you switch again. So kind of this back and forth and like a constantly evolving um, organization as you grow. Oh, well, the one thing I just want to sort of add to that is as is, is part of the secret sauce, this is this one of the things that Atlassian did very early on is, is they developed multiple revenue streams across multiple products. And so when you, when, you, when you look at companies that are flat like Slack or PagerDuty, for example, one of the things that sort of is in the negative column is, is they don't have multiple revenue streams. They're really sort of just dependent on, on, on one thing in order to generate cash. And so in one of the things that Jens is talking about is, is business units and things like that is, is, is Atlassian had multiple streams of revenue and then started to build a stream of integrations across those products that sort of served as a force multiplier. Which is where, you know, cross-selling and that the whole land and expand theory, that's where that comes Exactly. 
Yeah. And that's why Atlassian continues to be valued so high compared to its peers. But I mean, it's still a, like, well, I mean, what are you talking about value so high compared to its peers? Snowflake is 80 billion and uh, Zoom is what? <laughs> 150 billion. And you guys it has $250 generated, million dollars in revenue. It's just ridiculous. You guys generated <laughs> five times the free cash flow, what, 100 times the free cash flow? Your, your guys' Atlassian shares are really getting a raw deal. I, you know, I was, I commented on Twitter to, to, uh, Let's not get too off topic here because I want to come back to Sajari. But the box CEO was like, you know, commending Snowflake a lot. And I mean, he's an interesting character and, you know, obviously have followed it. There was a point in time where Chamath talked about box, you know, like it was Snowflake. And he was celebrating how, you know, it's gone from an idea to a hundred billion in, you know, on IPO. And I'm like, bro, your stock trades at three times sales, that trades at 300 times sales. Are you in the same industry? Do you not look at that and say, hey, I generated more revenue than they did in the last year, but three, two, two times what they did. And they raised more on the first day than my, than my total enterprise value. <laughs> so, I mean, you but do they're wonder. Not outside of bounds. They're not that out of bounds with their peers, like, especially if you look at companies like Confluent. And if you go to thematic things that are occurring inside of the technology field, I mean, the amount of data that is being generated or could potentially be generated is it's, it's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. So yeah, I mean, we, we get we get the, the thematic views. It's, I mean, we, we can get into Snowflake when we get into Snowflake. Let's go back to Sajari now. This would be a whole different conversation. And they need data, by the way. So it's very related. Yes, exactly. You are a big data play. Big data, big data, like from Hadoop to Snowflake. But. When we talk about Sajari, which is where I kind of, you know, wanted to, wanted to ask you guys some questions is, and, and probably for the listeners, they'll be able to relate better because they invest in public companies. When I did Once Upon a Time in Tech, one of the things we had focused on, actually, initially when I was, you know, on the bearish thesis on PagerDuty, was these kind of, uh, and getting into Twilio maybe later with, with the Microsoft news, but these kind of API as a service companies. There's been kind of that excitement that people talk about first tier of SaaS being like, oh, uh, we're going to go from on-premise HR software and ERP to cloud and whatnot. But then we get to the point where it's not about seats. It's essentially, we're talking about middleware, right? Product, c- computers talking to computers as the product in terms of the service. When we talk about search, obviously, like, you know, there's a, there's a human element in the, in, in the interaction. Obviously, when people think about search historically with Google. But one of the names that has obviously come up in site-based search at the enterprise level, because I've always not understood, I'm like, why, you know, why did Google exit enterprise search? Why, like, why doesn't every website have a Google search? Was this Algolia? So like when, when, when you see, you'll see Stripe does this, Played, which Visa bought that connects your bank accounts. That was another one. And then right there, uh, nicely tucked in, if you see any VCs decks on these APIs of service companies, you'll get Algolia, which is, uh, from my understanding, you are essentially would be chiefly competing against, and in theory, also elastic. Elastic, which which I've written about before and talked about, and in its comparison against MongoDB on the commercial open source type of model. But that's a search based product, right? Mm. Yeah. So it's interesting. We actually see we see Algolia a lot more than Elastic in the accounts that we that we go after. So like at the moment, our focus is largely on, on website search and e-commerce. And for those kind of com- companies, you, you don't have usually deep, deeply technical teams. 
you usually have like a marketing team or like a revenue team. And if you run a big e-commerce store, you start to have a development team as well. But even then they're looking to outsource as much as possible. And with Elastic, you just have to do a lot of work to, to tailor to your use case, build a lot of functionality on top. It's a really good kind of like data store. That's, that's how Atlassian products all are built on Elastic. But the, there's a lot of work in Elastic. We have a, a search team of like 15, 20 people that just focus on making search better and it, it's taking a long time. So if you're a website or if you're an e-commerce store, you can't afford that, right? So this is why you see elastic or simpler search, uh, site search solutions much more in the wild in, in those cases. Also, also at Atlassian, you know, there was a team that implemented the Google algorithm going back to your, to your point. Akram, and, and when you, when the, as part of these like 20% projects, Atlassian does these coding projects like once a quarter, one of the teams implemented the, the Google algorithm because it's public domain knowledge as part of a patent. And the search for Atlassian's products became, I don't know, 10 to 100 times more effective. And so, you know, why did, why did Google pull that algorithm or their Google enterprise product? I don't know. I mean, we used it at Atlassian for the, the public websites, but knowing that there are, potentialities where there are algorithms that are substantially better than what is uh, what's what Elasticsearch is based on, Sajari is attacking that problem. And, and the, the search technology of Elasticsearch is from the late 90s. I believe the project was started in 1999 and it, it uses, you know, sort of- Lucene? A, yeah. It, uh, yes, it uses Lucene in a yep. very basic technology stack, whereas Sajari's implementation is machine learning. I mean, of course, everybody says AI or whatever, but Sajari is simplifying the really difficult thing. And you can't go out and hire these engineers to cost 500000 to a million dollars a year in order to give you the upside benefits that even Atlassian sees when they do internal projects. And that's, that's what the potential of Sajari is. And they're going to bring that to everybody. So they, they are leapfrogging the competition in terms of their technology implementation. Yeah, if you look at the competition, Algolia and they, to be fair to them, they did a great job kind of trailblazing this this path of like an API search. They focused largely on speed, which which is great and worked really well for them. If you look at the other competitors, actually most of them are built on top of Elasticsearch. There was like SwiftType, which actually got acquired by Elastic. And most of the kind of search engines, when you look at Shopify or any website search engine, they usually have Elastic as the, the core search engines and they build a UI on top and build some functionality on top because it's not easy to build a search engine from the ground up. So is, is, this, is this, are we saying open source Elastic or are we talking about like they're doing business with actual commercial sort, uh, Elastic? No, it's usually open source Elastic. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and then they host it and then they run it for you. And like some of them just say, hey, we, we host Elastic and some of them, put some uh, more functionality on top of it. But that, that's really the core. For Sajari, we rewrote an entire search engine from the ground up and looking at some of the drawbacks that search engines had. They're really good at reading data really fast. They're really bad at writing data fast. And if you think about machine learning, what, what is important there? It's important that you have a lot of data and that you continuously update that data and you have, for example, stock levels or margin levels available in real time to optimize your search results. And this is what Sajari focused on. It's really a mix. The core engine is a mix of a database and a search engine taking kind of the best of both worlds and putting them together. And it gives us some unique capabilities in that field. So, so how often are you training your algorithm, for example? Like, what, guess, like is it? 
constantly, like it gets constantly updated. So we, one of the core pieces uh, that we use is uh, like a reinforcement learning algorithm. So if somebody does a search and clicks on a particular search result, then it's a positive reinforcement for this particular result. And then over time, it learns that even though that result is ranked number five, most people click on that. So it goes up or if somebody buys a product, a particular product after searching for kind of like shoes. Yeah, then if that particular product gets a lot of purchases, then over time you rank that higher. And the products that high, uh, rank above it, if they don't get purchases, then they over time get deprioritized. So, and it's constantly evolving. And this is quite interesting if you think about like uh, changing behavior and consumer demand. If somebody, we have a, a big Australian e-commerce store that we actually moved over from Algolia to Sajari. And I think now we, in the beginning, was like 10% improvement in conversion rate. And now we're up to 15 because we keep optimizing it. And Which, um, which by the way, for people not thinking about that, that is obviously huge if you can get that kind of improvement on, uh, on the scale that is e-commerce. Yeah, it's like in, in terms of the ROI for them, like what they pay for the product and what they get in return, it's doesn't even, yeah, it is, it's a no-brainer for them. If you think about what people searched for when, when somebody searched for masks last December, right? Usually get face masks or like face masks in particular. Etsy um, did if, 500 million in mask sales last quarter. Yeah. yeah. But uh, if you searched in January, most of the products that people would have expected to come up would probably beauty products, like a, a face mask, like a mud mask or whatever. Kylie um, Jenner, and then, Kylie Cosmetics. Yeah. There you go. And that has changed quite a bit. That, that those are not the products they expected when they searched in April or May. What this, this algorithm basically does is like it understands that uh, well, people start clicking on the face masks that are uh, for kind of protection instead of the beauty masks over time. And then it automatically starts to change them and rank them higher. So you don't have to do kind of like any special configuration on your search algorithm. It, it basically does it for you based on the changing user behavior. That's interesting. So essentially, you're basically saying Elastic is there's like a it's rules based driven. It's not being, but it's not being proprietarily data fed. So when I come That's in right. as a customer to adopt your product, and your sales guys are, are are hitting me with the pitch on we're going to improve your conversion, we're going to do this. What am I eliminating on the back end management wise that would still have to exist in a, in another company? Because I think Justin, you kind of hinted at that in terms of the data science element. Yeah, so, so essentially you usually have a team of engineers and I think this is like another part of um, our pitch that search is really a big data problem, but we still have 99% of all search engines today are configured manually by engineers. This is the same in Confluence and this is, I'm not sure if you use Confluence, but if you have, no, them, I have not. You, you know that the search doesn't always work as, as well as you would hope. And the this is, this is my point on the search sucks. It just sucks. It's hard for everybody. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, it's right. and the problem is that the basically you had a team of engineers deciding what use case to optimize for instead of saying the product should uh, optimize based on the user behavior. And that's the, the reinforcement learning part that I just talked about. If you use Confluence as an intranet, you really care about recent content. That's probably the most important. If somebody has a conversation or if somebody just created something, that's probably more important. If you just use it as a documentation tool, recency doesn't really matter. You want to find content, it doesn't matter whether it was created in the last week or in the last month. So you have to prioritize certain, certain aspects of the records there. 
and this is basically what what Sajari does for you without an engineering having an engineer having to redefine that. And that's what you basically have to do in Elasticsearch, and you have to continuously figure out how to make it better. And you also have to code it, so it's it's not just like a plug and play. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's. Uh, it, I was. I was just thinking about the nice benefit of uh, COVID actually kind of works in, in direction of what you guys are doing. So this, this is exactly right. Like if you're, if you're a company that is not a bleeding edge company that it's wherever and, and, and not, you know, not a school that's graduating people that are experts in machine learning and, and you want a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% upgrade in, in your conversion rates. I mean, what are you going to do during the COVID age? I mean, Sajari is the company that you can sort of tap on the shoulder and put them into the game and get you there. Yeah, so you kind of essentially are making a case that this moves in this direction. It makes more sense that ultimately machine learning is a bigger driver in site. Like, what does Amazon do, for example? I mean, there is the flip. There's a counter argument, Justin, right? Where it's like, hey, I want to push stuff to you that I want to sell. So what do you mean by that? I don't know. Well, I'm saying if, if I'm first party and, and there's a, a better incentive to surface something that from an e-commerce standpoint, let's say Amazon versus first party, third party, what shows up for you initially in search, we can create, there could be economic incentives in the background that is like, hey, I get, it's shelf space, right? I mean, we're gonna, that's to where we're going. It, you, have to, you have to put it on Amazon. No, so, but I think to, to, your, to your point, the company that we work with, it's called Catch, and they're the the biggest competitor to Amazon in Australia. Amazon is actually not as popular in Australia yet. They don't have a, the, the same. Yeah, they don't what have- is, What um, is Jeff Bezos doing <laughs> wrong? <laughs> well, first of all, they, they can't get Amazon Prime to work properly. You still have to wait two or three days. And then they don't have a, a selection. I think Australia is just- Kangaroos? I mean, what is it? What's, yeah, what's going yeah, on? Oh, hold on. I, mean, I don't get any deliveries in, in two, three days anymore. I mean, that's out the window. Well, but there was even before this happened, Oh, well, was they pay the, me now not to get the, the the delivery in two three days? Free, free movies. But so what? <laughs> what we do with what we do with that company? Because it, it's right as a as a retailer, you have to find that balance between finding the the right product that somebody was searching for and and showing them the best results versus optimizing your business. Because margin, like higher margin products, you probably want to push them a little bit more. Or if you have products in stock that you need to get rid of, you probably want to push them more. And that's exactly what we enable people to do. They can take all that information that they have around their products and feed it into the search algorithm and then run an A-B test to see what's the outcome. So you don't just blindly update it. You, you actually see, because you have to find that right balance, you don't want to piss off your customers by, by not showing them what they're looking for. But yeah, so you're going better be, than, you're, 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 that's, what I, that, that's kind of where I was going. So you, you kind of hit that. Like, it's, it, like you, are, it, you are marrying the data science essentially into the core element, which is exactly, w- and- which is where you don't need the data. I mean, like going back to a lot of heat that in the market has been about with Snowflake was that it wasn't good for Alteryx's business because right. Alteryx's business is, hey, we're going to d- democratize the data science element by making it as easy for any business analyst to do. And it's like, well, if you can adjust the data in this way, you may reduce the need for certain Alteryx license, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So I get your point, which is actually very interesting. And the, I think what enables us to do that is the, again, the, the part of the search engine. If you look at Algolia, if you want to change the search algorithm significantly, what you have to do is you have to duplicate your entire data set, your entire index, because it gets 
pre-ordered, and that's kind of how their algorithm works. There's a pre-order of the kind of the products that is determined by that search algorithm. For us, it, it's really just a configuration that sits on top and gets executed. So you can run as many different algorithms against the same data set at any time. And over time, at the moment, it's manual. So you define your algorithm and you say, I want to run these two or three, and you compare them. You can compare different metrics, um, like edit to part or sale. But over time, what we want to do is that we let that run automatically in the background. So you determine an outcome that you want. Is it, is it more sale? Is it more revenue? Is it higher margins? And then we change the, the levers in the search that we have to and automatically run a b test in the background and tell you this is the best algorithm in order for you to optimize for that outcome yes you're optimized, and that's what uh, right? our customers yeah. are really exactly exactly and that's what our customers are really excited about instead of having to figure out like what to what to push and what to move themselves if, if we can do that for them and just give them the results and say this is what happened after we changed that part of the algorithm you want to apply this and then they just need to say yes and, and that's that's kind of how now, they now, improve the business over time and gradually. Yeah. Are you guys I mean, from a, a model revenue model? How does it work? Like, is it subscription based? Yeah, we. It's um it's subscription based, but we we charge per search. Basically, we have on the lower end we have fixed tiers just to make it a bit more predictable and affordable for people, and then in the enterprise we basically have a pay per use and you commit to. Like a so certain it's number me, it's of um, queries, yeah, basically, kind of like three. Right. So we, we, yeah, so we charge for for queries, then and it's for like every thousand queries, it starts at a dollar forty and then goes down to I think sixty cents, depending on how much you use. The more you use, the cheaper it gets. And I mean, when you think about the like the addressable market, obviously, for you guys, you joined when? I joined in December. Okay, I mean, it's so. So COVID has essentially, from a TAM use case standpoint, I mean, obviously, you, you, uh, like e-commerce was probably a top priority for you guys from the start, right? Um, it was actually, we just made it a priority earlier this year. So we started working with like a few e-commerce customers late, like last year, but then we really switched earlier this year. Site search actually was the, the, still the majority of our business at the moment. So we power Unity 3D that just went public their website and their documentation, Sennheiser, Lockheed Martin, a number of large government websites in Australia. So that's where we used to focus on. But the hard part for, in particular, for large sites, it's, it's a no-brainer because you need the speed and you need that flexibility. And, and what I talked about in terms of reinforcement learning becomes really important uh, for large sites like that. But for small sites, it's not really, if you have 100 pages or 500 pages, you need reinforcement learning probably doesn't really help you so but in e-commerce even with a thousand products the ability to optimize your margins is quite important and that's where it's just like a much clearer uh, roi for the customer and we we saw that we had a lot of strength with the the way we designed the, the algorithm and how the product works so that's why we said like site search was the horizon one and we continue to do that like that's, that's yeah, so uh, as everyone gets excited cost. about e-commerce penetration you know, like you see the statistics. Uh, I mean, we, we haven't got into it recently, but I mean, obviously, Justin, since the last time we were on, like yesterday, it was it was Nike. It's like eighty six percent e commerce growth. Oh, well, my goodness! 
and 25% of people in Latin America, you know, ordered something online for the first time. You know, if you're cashless, obviously, I mean, this is, COVID's been a big deal. Like, you know, cash is, is like the plague. You don't want to touch it. So there's a lot of drivers here, like, which is kind of interesting from looking at, at your business and a customer, like you said, an Amazon in Australia. I hate that reference, the Amazon of whatever, but uh gets used so much but uh the the, the idea obviously of that like okay i mean it's like your target market is like what what what, how, what powers amazon search i believe for the longest time was actually elastic they now have a new search but i'm not sure if you if they switched amazon search itself over that i, I doubt it i don't think it's quite ready yet well did, so to, to interrupt here just look I mean, this this is a significant problem. I don't even know if you guys remember, but five, six years ago, there was the million dollar cham- challenge that Netflix put out, which was this is like design the algorithm gives you the best movie recommendation system. And so like every every company that's online is going to need a technology like this in order to, to better service. Them. Yeah, noise has gone up and like exponentially without question. There's so much content. There's so like this is what we get back into this whole you know we've discussed this a lot in our Slack you and me Justin on on the TikTok and the algorithm it comes up and I mean this is where you get into if you, that's the secret sauce for a lot of people these days a line of code vault guarded by armed guards it used to be Coca Cola syrup that's right I'll take the sixties again in terms of growth no problem. <laughs> All right, so we got off topic, sorry. But like, yes, so e-commerce, prioritizing it. And I mean, it's like, can we say from an inbound element of, you know, has interest picked up yet or is it still kind of chaotic? You know, are we really at that point people who are running e-commerce are like, hey, we need to optimize yet or is it just like still running around to figure it out? Because I feel like Sajari is like, you know, we can go back to the page of duty problem. There's these things where like, there's a second derivative beneficiary of like, a huge inflection that goes on where it's like, okay, I now need to focus on this as well. Has anybody seen Shopify? Have you guys heard of this company? Yeah. So I mean, I mean the growth and online search is just incredible. I mean, everybody's moving to that model. Best Buy has had the blowout quarter online. Target has had a blowout quarter online. I mean, this is, this is the direction it's moving. There's, I mean, there's no question on that. I agree hundred percent. So like, this is obviously from a COVID as it's been going back to that word. We're going to be much faster than usual accelerated. It has obviously accelerated a lot of things, which is, you know, everyone is an e-commerce company. You're an addressable market of everybody willing to look at this and uh, to enable them and give them better product-based search. There's obviously huge Shopify, Target, Walmart, you know, every retailer, Williams-Sonoma, whatever. But is this something that like, if I'm running one of these companies yet today, like, is it is it yet where like, there's a huge spike in interest yet, or are they still kind of trying to figure out, like, I mean, everyone still has get their bearings around COVID type of thing, right? We're not in that, we're past the Zoom phase, even though Zoom software trade that way, <laughs> of uh, knee-jerk, like, hey, I need to get on video conference immediately for work, and I need a laptop for work, and I need, you know, endpoint protection for work, and I need these tools to keep my virtual office running. But are we now at that point where, like, it's like, all right, like, I need better site-based search. Or is it like, hey, you know, it's prime day every day. I'm not really focused on that 100% yet. 
we're starting to see it now. I think in the beginning, people were busy keeping their sites up to begin with. So we had, uh, there was famously in Australia, Kmart, they had a waiting queue for people to get into the site. So they- What they explain said, yeah, that? How does that work for me? Like I thought the whole purpose of the internet was that can't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you would think you would think that, but if your infrastructure, if you can't scale your infrastructure as fast, uh, and your priorities number one is to not make your site crash, then you basically say we're not going to allow more than maybe five hundred people or thousand people concurrently onto the site. So if more people want to come, we put them into a queue, and then if people leave, then new people can come in. That's crazy. That's, I haven't uh, heard about it, that. That's it, it is. Yeah, it was crazy. Like people. So, so physical but, infrastructure and virtual infrastructure are the same thing. I mean, like, I'm, we spent like a, a lot of time paper. on Snowflake. Yeah. Yeah. So the it was uh, just like a, a physical store, basically. But to be fair to them, they had they had a problem. We can't scale our infrastructures fast enough. How do we solve it? And I, personally, I thought it was a. Didn't you just tell uh, them you go to, you, you moved to, you moved to Amazon.com and uh, you know the compute and the storage scale perfectly and elastically, and there you go. Yeah, I think the and in that in that case, they probably thought, oh well, it's just uh, we got to keep our side up and make sure that that everything works fine. In reality, and I don't really think about search too much, but in reality, actually having search powered by Sajari or someone else actually can help you to outsource a lot of that load because the the search load obviously is quite high as well when people browse your site and, and people search for products. But now that we now that people realize, okay, this is like an ongoing thing, people. Once you go online and, and you see their convenience and uh, you get products delivered to your door, you're probably less likely to go out again, even after COVID. So now people start thinking about how do we optimize it? And we see uh, working with like numbers of agencies that are looking for different providers. A lot of them actually using Algolia and they made a recent change in their pricing, which a lot of people seem unhappy about. So we get a lot of inquiries from, from that side where they say, hey, we're looking for different alternatives as well to power whether it's shopify custom stores magento uh, big commerce so all, all kinds of different kind of stores and companies i mean i guess just to tease it out the implication there is that akram and i go back and forth a lot on is how much of this is a temporary bump and how much of this is an ongoing change it sounds like you're you're not bracing for some drop off in e-commerce adoption. I know you, you mentioned that you have the site search as well, but the e-commerce line, you think there's still, it's, if anything, a relatively later stage addition for these companies to build in your search feed. Yes, I think so. And even though, even if there's a little bit of a drop off, that might make people think as well, well, how do we make that up? Can we optimize yeah, the search? And exactly. then they come back to, Come back to which is um, where we get into that second derivative element. It's raining money, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, how do how do we optimize next year? If there's a bit of a hangover. I mean, there is going to be a hangover. Let's 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 not. I mean, yeah, just, it, it's in, inevitable when you have a certain pace that picks up. But like, look, look at COVID. I mean, Justin uh, has been pretty right on this. It doesn't seem to want to die. Yeah, I think from a, a product perspective and from user behavior or customer behavior, it doesn't it won't change all that much. I think like obviously we're going to see the growth not continue at the same rate that we saw this year. And that will definitely affect stock prices. Right. So like all the expectations at the moment are like out blown out of the water. So if you talk about hangover, we'll see that. But 
I think generally it will continue. Like uh, DocuSign was another one we talked about in the past. I just, my real estate agent, he sent me a document to sign with DocuSign and they are terrible at technology, real estate agents. So that was, uh, that was a big sign for me that um, maybe things are changing, not, not yeah, just are, in- there's, there's, yeah. there's so much where you have penetrated in terms of markets that were, even at, even education, healthcare, you know, SAS Pro just recently yeah. is, it was a perfect example of the podcast. That's just one that was forced into it, looking, you know, and, and, and I mean, real estate in the US, and I don't know if it's the same way in Australia, but, but it's like, it's a boom over here that the, you can't get in, it's two, it's tales of two markets, really, right? Like you've got the, the urban centers that, uh, you know, the apartment living that's taken the hit, and then you've got like a huge shortage of housing. Or people who want to move this up, want to buy a new home, and they're, they're they're snapping these things up. So you will talk to real estate agents, and they'll be like, "Oh, this is, I've never been this busy." And a lot a lot of those industries. So I, to part of doing their business, I like like you said, DocuSign is in there with. I mean, like, well, their DocuSign had something like sixty five percent bookings growth, right? Like most recent quarter, crazy crazy stuff. Or uh, in contrast to SaaS's, who had single digit bookings growth. All right. And people look at that and like success, at the perception as far as the shift. But look, you know, I haven't seen anything, by the way, speaking of DocuSign, because I came up with, with a friend a couple of days ago that has had more people on uh, mentioning that like they've evaluated switching to Adobe product. Mm, I mean, I can't like obviously 60% bookings growth is it's not that many, but like uh, I've seen a, a couple of highlights of like, you know, we're migrating from DocuSign. Do, do, do you even know what the name of that is? I mean, I don't even know. I've no, I don't know what it is. is. Adobe Sign. I'm I mean, sure it's what, what I mean, like you, is. The, you, you know, Dropbox bought HelloSign and like you don't really ever hear anyone about it. I mean, everyone uses DocuSign. It's not like it hasn't been as far as like the penetration wise, but there are others there and it's consolidating into it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're talking about document management, not one that you that, that you don't think of could be integrated into these broader suites, right? I mean, I had someone just sent me a deck on on DocSend, which I had tried playing around with like six months ago. Got about, and then PCs still seem to like that for a way of tracking who exactly is looking at what. I, I mean, I guess that sort of speaks to the point where there's there's this sort of truism where you know winner takes all in tech. But I mean, going back to, is this a small change or is this a permanent change? Like people aren't going to undo the habits that they're doing. Like, you know, I do a lot of bank transfers now and my bank approves these things over email. Are we going to go back to me having to go into the branch? No. Are, are we going to well, go back? That's a fascinating conversation. Because are what we happens go back? to the rank, rank, branch footprint? Sure. And, and it's the same thing for, for e-commerce, right? Like, if I don't have to go to the store, I'm not going to go to the store. And, and if you look at the comments on COVID that you're getting in terms of congressional testimony, maybe there's a vaccine end of year, but like the, the testimony is very clear. The only people that are getting it are the healthcare workers, and then it's going to be elderly by the year. So we're like, the 2021 is essentially a loss. And so if you, if you were thinking about how to drive growth for your business, E-commerce is a huge way to do that and you know, sort of beat the dead horse. Sajari is a great way for people to look at opportunities in order to 
to, to, to maximize what it is that they're doing online. I support that notion, even though you're talking your own book. Uh, look, you got to sell it, right? Everything is sales. <laughs> I'm the SaaS bro right now. <laughs> Let's get I mean, to, SaaS you know, bro. I, I, no, hey, watch <laughs> it. SaaS bro is a machine. That kid is sales. I, I thought that he should have went to Sajari. I said it the other day to YouTube. Leave <laughs> room for an expansion. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish a new episode every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd be really grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you again for listening and see you next week.